The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, y'all? Welcome to the third episode of In the Deep, a deep and dynasty-focused fantasy baseball podcast. It is Wednesday, March 3rd, and I'm here again with my friend Schwebzy. Schwebzy, how's it going? Hi, friends. It's going good. We made it. Episode three. I'm of the opinion that every episode is a milestone because uh, we don't get fired for talking about George for 10 minutes at a time. Thanks for not firing us, Nick. Yeah, my roommate always says that like the actual milestone is episode 10. Once you do 10 episodes, you're a real podcast. So we're still striving towards that goal. Uh, It's been a pretty eventful week so far. This past weekend, we had uh, Potapalooza, which Schweb's actually participated in. Schweb's, how was that? Potapalooza. Yes, I participated and I nudged Jordan, my my fantastic co-host, to participate. And he didn't do it. My God. Because I am a coward. (laughs) <laughs> it's fine uh i it's fine I'll, I'll do i'll do enough shilling for the both of us that's fine good at that so uh yeah i did a panel oh god let me see if i can remember who it was with uh doug thorberg scott engel and um uh, michael meyer who actually had to bail because of uh audio issues and then doug mendelson so it was a really fun panel to be a part of because some of these guys are industry vets some of them are like more mechanical experts and we got to talk about like pitcher sleepers, both starting and relieving. Some of those relievers that I talked about on Potapalooza, I also talked about on last week's episode. And uh, some of those starters we might talk more about uh, in the coming weeks. So yeah, it was a good time. Um, I got put on blast in front of the world for having my soul leave my body in the middle of the panel. That was, Thanks. okay, that that tweet made me laugh so hard because who was who got who was uh one of our fellow analysts roasting when yeah, oh it's it was it was uh it was uh oh god it was uh edwin it was someone talking about edwin diaz and how he doesn't have mental fortitude to close in new york that's what it was i thought i did a very good job of keeping my you know emotions on the inside but apparently the light left my eyes for a brief second and uh, so yancey good. eaton caught caught it in a screen cap and uh put me on blast it was really really good thanks yes it was, it was it was i i can't really explain how well that encapsulated you when everyone whenever anyone talks bad about any man it's true but i mean you never i like I, at least i never want to 
you know, talk bad about a, a fellow panelist while they're giving their advice. I, I vehemently disagree that Diaz doesn't have what it takes mentally to close. But, you know, I wasn't going to be like, no, no, no. Hey, hey, listen, guy, stop it. No, I'm not going to do that. I would do that to you. I would do that to you. I wouldn't do that to like a panelist. I fully expect you to do that to me. We're too, we're too good at buds at this point for us to BS with each other, honestly. Like, I fully expect you to call me out on bad takes if I ever had them. I'm really like once you start talking about how like Luis uh, Urias is like a, a legit starter on a fantasy team, I will do that. I won't. I, I have zero plans to do so. So at least I won't get put on blast for that. Uh, but uh, other thing that's happening this week is well, once again, uh, well, Potapalooza, Justin Mason, great job putting that on. Also putting on something else that started this week. TGFBI, Schwebs, it's our first time. We're real. We're real analysts now. I think. I think this kind of like makes it official. I'm so glad to be having my first time together with you like this. It's really nice. I wouldn't choose anyone else to have my first time with Schwebs. It's so, just so special. Uh, <laughs> how do you like your team so far? Honestly, I really like it. Like I knew it was good. Okay, so this is my first time. Obviously, I know that I'm going up a bunch against a bunch of people that are genuinely going to be probably a lot smarter than I am. At least that's what I always assume. Um, I was sitting in the fifth spot out of 15 teams in my league and I kicked off with Jake DeGrom as my first pick. And that was mostly just to make you happy Schwebs. Cause Thank I know you. I'll get a, at least one gold star on my draft when we talk I about lost. it. Uh, I also had the choice of Trey Turner or Mike Trout there. I feel like we're like the three that I would have gone with, but I just really was kind of prepping for the fact that there was probably going to be a decent pitcher run in the second round, which about half of the picks in the second round were pitchers. Uh, and then it allowed me to take a hitter in that round. And obviously taking Jake DeGrom is a nice, good base for your pitching staff. So yeah, I ended up taking uh, Manny Machado in second round, Kyle Tucker in the third round, like get a nice, good hitting base, guys who can get for a decent average and are going to chip in both homers and a few steals here and there. I went with Josh Hader in the fourth round. I was not expecting to pick a closer in the fourth round, but here we are in this absolute just hellscape of late inning relievers trying to find someone who actually is going to close. There's like 13 relievers or something like that that I trust. So this is the one year that I will not begrudge anybody getting their closer early. I almost, I think, I think that many, I think 13 is generous. Yeah. It's pretty, it's rough out there. Yeah. Uh, but overall, uh, my favorite picks that, I had in the draft so far probably my fifth and sixth round picks. I got two guys that I just don't have any real shares of, but I just wanted to get them. And it was Jordan Alvarez and Lord Escuriel Jr. Uh, I think they're both just really fun. I think that Jordan can very easily put up first round value, like near MVP level bat. If he can stay healthy, I really hope the knees hold up. And obviously that's a really high risk pick, but I'm not here to do anything safely really. For my first time, I can I can save the safe picks for years two and three and beyond. I think that like it's an interesting thought. Like I think it would be like what kind of year would Jordan have to have to be a first round pick next year? Like he'd basically he'd basically have to hit like Trout. Yeah, like Trout and Soto essentially. Yeah, like the bar is even higher for him as a DH. Yes, for sure. Like he would have to hit probably like three thirty, three forty, ah, three thirty, three thirty with like fifty home runs. Now, the one time that he was truly healthy for, uh, a, you know, a lengthy period of time, he basically did hit like slow Mike Trout. So it's, you know, yeah. he, he's already shown that he can do it. Yeah, I'm hoping that he can exhibit that again this year. And then again, they're going to give him reps in spring training here at first base. 
So I think his days of playing in the outfield are numbered. Obviously, he doesn't have that eligibility in TGFBI. So he's just an early util pick for me, which was, it's kind of dicey to take someone in the util spot that early and not actually take a real position player. But I wanted to get my guy and I got my guy. So I couldn't be happier with that. Uh, Beyond that, I had some really nice value picks late. I got my second starting pitcher in the eighth round in Zach Wheeler. He dropped a ton in my league. And I was really, really happy with that. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski, a lot of people think that he's going to regress this year, which I kind of agree with. But at the same time, I think he kind of defy. I mean, he's been defying projections for the past couple of years anyways. And I just hope that that's going to stick for me. And in the 10th round, I'm not really going to sneeze at that. Uh, also, getting Eric Hosmer, who has got an ADP of like 140-ish at pick 185. I've just been past a ton of really, really nice value in this draft, so I couldn't be happier with that. Uh, Schwebs, enough about my team. I've taken up too much of the spotlight. Let's talk about how you feel about your draft. Let's go over your pick so far. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say 10th round? I I did, did in fact, say 10th round. What's a 10th round? My draft has gone so slow. We are uh, we are at pick 105 right now, which puts us in like, uh, I, I think we're like one of the five slowest leagues. But it's given me a lot of time to strategize, a, a lot of times to kind, of, a lot of time to kind of look at the other teams in the league, look at what they're doing, and kind of try to plan my moves out a little bit better. I think that's really benefited me as the draft has gone on, because uh, my my last two picks were some of my favorites so far. But uh, I started off with uh, at the fourteen spot, and I got Bellinger and then Giolito as my first two. I was really hoping to get like Bellinger Lindor. But the uh, the fifteenth spot sniped me with that Lindor pick, which is reasonable. I've seen Lindor go like as late as like twenty five. A fun thing about being in a league with like twenty eight other leagues closely associated is that I get to look around and you look at all of the other leagues and you're like, man, why could it? Why couldn't a Rosarena fall to seventy in my league? So there's, I I, I just have draft pick envy just constantly for the past couple of days. But uh, after Bellinger and Giolito, we went Springer in the third, Maeda in the fourth. And I think that gives me a really, really solid floor in pretty much every stat except for saves and steals. We addressed saves next with Chapman. And then sixth and seventh round, I took the value. Uh, Glaber Torres dropped pretty far, got him in the uh, sixth. And McNeil, I can't believe Jeff McNeil dropped so far. I think out of the 28 or 29 leagues, my pick of Jeff McNeil was like the second latest and that, you know, I could not be more ecstatic because I love Jeff McNeil as a Mets fan. And it's, you know, it's always fun to get your guys on, uh, on your fantasy team. And McNeil is just good, man. He, he's probably, I, I, this is totally hyperbole, but he's one of the best pure hitters in the league. Like he just, he's just so good at putting the bat on the ball. Yeah, I think that's a really, really solid pick there. Um, it is a shame that your draft hasn't gone faster. Uh, also, just so you know, Schwebs, I am in round 13 at this point. Oh, must be well, nice. I, I, I've almost doubled you up. Uh, I have made my re- most recent pick in Hosmer, um, but I do hope that your draft moves along a little bit quicker as time goes on. I really do like your start, though, genuinely. Getting Chapman at that point was a really good call. Again, just getting like that very firm, known capital C closer at that point was a great choice. I'm learning a lot as I go along in this, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's actually someone 
tracking every single pick that is being made by every single team in TGFBI, Schwebs. I know you wanted to give the shout out. Please feel free to do that. Yeah, Smata, who is actually in my league, uh, he has a spreadsheet that tracks every little minutia of this whole massive undertaking. And it's just an insane spreadsheet. I've called it a work of art because it just all the moving pieces. Like I can't even imagine what's going on behind the scenes in this Google sheet. But uh, yeah, big props to Smata for tracking this whole thing and honestly making it more fun. Like it's it's really great to be able to compare across leagues so quickly and easily. Yeah, anyone who has the formulaic wizardry to make such expansive spreadsheets in Excel or any such uh, program is someone who has my admiration. I didn't think I'd ever be saying that. Like if you asked me when I was like 18, if I would ever say that sentence, I would say shut up nerd. But it's just really, really impressive. Smata doing a great job making all this information easily accessible to all of us. You can look up ADPs from each or the draft position in each league for individual players. You can also look at one uh, manager's team and then look at where each of their players that they drafted ranks in comparison to where their ADP is. So if they took them above or below by a percentage, according to their ADP, it's super duper fun to look at all that stuff and see, because then it's like this inherent, like, oh, where did I get value and where did I reach too much for someone? So it's like you can learn on the fly with this, which is really, really cool. I have found myself upset several times because the spreadsheet doesn't like my team. The spreadsheet does not like your team very much. The spreadsheet, on the other hand, very much does like my team. I respect the spreadsheet so much, and I get nothing in return. I get nothing back from it. I mean, the, the spreadsheet giveth and the spreadsheet taketh away. That's all I really have to say about that. Uh, let's see here. Other notable pitcher list folks that are up near the top here. Let's see if I can find Trevor Huth, number 10. For me. Oh, guess what? I jumped up to number 15. Hey, congrats. Spreadsheet hey. Like, spreadsheet likes this guy. Okay. Spreadsheet gods smile upon me. Uh, also, where, where is Nick Pollock? Nick Pollock was also way up there. Yeah. There's, our, there's our boy. Number six overall in mean rank, which mean rank essentially what it does is it accounts for how many picks you've made so far and then takes that as like an average and kind of weighs your team on that instead of like saying, because obviously like if you have, if you're like 14th round or something like that, you're going to have more counting stats than every other team. So this takes into account how many picks you've made and the players you picked so far. Nick Pollock sitting at six. Good job, Nick. Yeah, the two the two main things that are going into that ranking are how your team is projecting and how your draft picks have looked compared to the average ADP. Yes. So not, not, I'm, I'm being redundant. My Your AADP, your average ADP, because obviously average draft pick, yeah. yeah. Don't need to double up on the average. Yet. Good job, <laughs> Pepsi. But uh, yeah, yeah, so right. it it takes into effect, uh, it takes into account your like if you're overdrafting, underdrafting, and then your overall production to come up with one nice little number to show uh, you know how how good you are compared to the rest of the 400 plus managers. Yeah, because how many total participants are there in TGFBI this year? It's like 450 ish, correct? Something like that. Yeah, it's like 29 leagues of 15 each. 29 times 15. Quick, do the math, Schwebs. What is it? About 450. It's about 450. A little less. Uh, Still, yeah. I mean, super great tool. Thank you again, Smata, for making this, obviously. There's a lot of people. Also, I'm going to shout out. I don't know anyone else that's entering information on this, so I'm sorry that I can't shout you out. But also, shout out Aaron Cumming, part of the Pitcherless Plus Discord, who was hanging out with us while entering every single person. Because this isn't just a thing where it's pulling the information from... Uh, NFC and then just automatically sticking it into the spreadsheet 
with like just a process that's automated. This is like actual people inputting every single pick into the spreadsheet so that way every other field can be filled up. And Aaron Cumming is one of the people doing that. So thank you so much, Aaron, for doing that. There, There's like an army of fantasy baseball gremlins that are doing this whole thing, and it's fantastic. All the Keebler elves inside the fantasy baseball tree making everything Kepler, work. The, the Kepler elves? Yeah, the Kepler elves, yes. Oh, God. I guess we should get to talking about what we came here to talk about initially, which is this is our episode on our favorite post 300 corner infielders. So we're going to both be choosing a first and third baseman that we really like and kind of take a deep dive on them. Uh, we'll start at first base Schwebs. Who is your post 300 sleeper that you like the most for 2021? All right. So we, uh, we, we have, we have some like disclaimers for this because we were like, we were looking at some, we, we were like fiddling with some ADP numbers here and we were looking at like the season long or off season long ADP. And then we were looking at just the last month's ADP. And then we were looking at just the last two weeks ADP. And yep. those are the last two weeks are the numbers we're going to be quoting because that's going to be most relevant for you guys. So some of these guys that were identified as sleepers, like earlier on in the off season, you know, the, the, the sharks are onto it. So we're going to call out a few guys who are maybe above our usual 380p threshold just because they've gotten some more popularity in recent weeks. So just we'll, we'll, we'll tell you where they're getting drafted nowadays, so be mindful of that. But know that if you're looking at the AD, if you just pull up the NFC ADP page, then you're not going to actually know where these guys are being drafted today. Like some of these guys have jumped up like ridiculous amounts. Correct. So the first guy I'm going to talk about, Brandon Belt who is currently going around 450. And just to just to get this out of the way, like Brandon Belt is good. Uh he seems to be one of those guys that perpetually people are just like writing off, but he's been good for a long time. Uh plenty of people have realized it, but it's just not as well known as it should be. He's and last year amongst a bunch of San Francisco Giant breakouts, Belts is probably the one that I'm most willing to bet on continuing, and it's for a variety of reasons. I'm always a sucker for a guy with great plate discipline, and he paired that with great contact rate and great power last year. It's just a beautiful profile. Belt has always been disciplined, which is probably part of the perpetual underratedness because for some reason, people just don't like guys that walk a lot. Whatever. He walks a lot. It's a good thing. Almost 17%. Yeah. That's no, insane so, last year. 17% almost, 16.8. Yes. He's always walked a lot. Last year, he walked more than ever. He had the best K percentage of his career, like a rounding error away from his best ever zone contact rate. And he combined all of that with a 455 Wobicon. So like he was walking a lot. He wasn't striking out a lot. He hit the ball whenever it was in the zone and good things happened whenever he hit it. It's just like, what more do you want? And something that I really liked about Belt's season is that it wasn't just one hot stretch. Like if you look at his rolling charts, he basically had two identical peaks from a rate perspective. And at the end of the year, he was red hot, which means he wasn't trending downwards. It looks like it could have continued. We've definitely got some batted ball luck here, as indicated by a big difference in batting average and expected batting average and a 356 BABIP. He's historically been like a 250 hitter. He hit, he hit around 305, 310 this past year. So his contact quality was so good this past year, though that I don't really think we're going to see a return to that 250. If he can repeat any of the gains from this past year, 
I can absolutely see a 270 average with 25 or more home runs, as I think the projections are a bit low on him. Although this this comes with the disclaimer that San Francisco's ballpark has some weirdness to it. Like we, we were looking into this before the podcast. Yeah. So basically with San Francisco, they had closed the gates out in right field, which essentially, I don't, I, I don't know what the exact, like the exact like aerodynamic reason or the physics reason would be for this happening. But essentially because they closed the, those right field gates in San Francisco at Oracle Park, balls were flying a lot farther. Like there was a home run that Fernando Tatis Jr. hit that was just barely over 100 miles an hour exit velocity, which I know that's still a very hard hit ball. Don't get me wrong, but it was a slider on the inside that he inside outed to the opposite field at like a 33 degree launch angle or something like that. And it would have only gotten out in about 45% of parks, according to those um, metrics. So if you hit that ball at that specific angle with that specific exit velocity, got less than a 50% chance of getting out. So there was something weird happening because, I mean, Oracle's always been known as a park where it's very hard to hit. Specifically home runs. Yes, home runs specifically, sorry. But last year that completely changed and that's where all of the doubt comes with all of these guys that are in San Francisco. But I have to agree with Schwebs here that the combination of really great plate discipline, I mean, his barrel percentage was in the 96th percentile last year as well. Walk rate in the 97th percentile. Ex-Woba, 97th percentile. Like He was just making solid contact and swinging at the right pitches. And when he did hit the ball, having great results. I mean, it was, I think it's going to end up being the outlier from this group of San Francisco hitters, kind of like Schwab said. Normally when we're looking at like 300 plus ADP guys, we're like picking apart their profile and trying to find the thing that they succeeded in to like, you know, say like, well, you know, if he brings up the other parts of his game to meet this one good thing, but Brandon Belt already did every facet of hitting well. We're just, you know, we 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 think it's going to continue. I imagine like every person that we look at past like pick three hundred is basically like we're lifting up a rock and finding a toad, and we're just pointing out all of its warts. It's like, ah, that's kind of gross. That's kind of gross. I don't know, but it's kind of a cool frog. Like it's it's kind of it's it's an ugly frog, but it's kind of a frog. It's kind of cool. Um, it's wait till my third base pick. It's the complete opposite. Oh God. But overall, there's really not a lot to hate about Brandon Belt, especially if you're in an on-base percentage league. Like OBP leagues, he's an absolute steal. Probably gets bumped up a bunch, but that walk rate is insane. I'm a sucker for plate discipline. I admit it. Yeah, this is a really good pick, Schwebs. I gotta say. Very jealous of this one. 451. That's insane. That's not just post 300. That's post 450. Yep. So this is a fantastic corner infielder for you deep leaguers out there. Love it. All right, moving on to my pick. I went with someone who just over even like the past few days, because it's Wednesday, like I said, Wednesday, March 3rd, as we're recording this. And just today, Bobby Dalbeck hit two more home runs opposite field to right center. That's who my pick is for first base. He's currently sitting at 326 over the past couple of weeks in ADP on NFBC. Uh, he's currently projected to be the starter at first base at the beginning of the year for the Red Sox. Uh, I don't see him getting challenged there. One downside, he is slated in to hit from the eighth spot. That being said, I feel like his plate approach is much better now than it was in the past, even in his few at-bats that he got in his rookie year. And I could see if he continues to demonstrate this power getting pushed up to like the fifth or sixth spot in the order, which would allow him to find some more success 
just to go over his 2020, he came up, he had 92 plate appearances. In those 92 plate appearances, he had eight home runs, got 13 runs and 16 RBIs, and then hit 263 while slugging 600. Obviously, like when you hit eight home runs over 92 plate appearances, that's pretty good. Bad X currently has him projected for 25 home runs this year uh, with 66 runs, a very nice 69 RBIs, and a nice. 218 batting average. I don't, he's, he's not going to set the world on fire with his batting average. He never has when he was in the minors either, and his strikeout rate was pretty exorbitant. Um, and last year, I don't have it in front of me right now. Let me quick see if I can find it. By the way, I, I've decided that Bobby Dalbeck should now be christened Bobby Dingers. I have christened him Robert K. Dingers because he strikes out a lot and he hits Dingers. That's a good one. Bobby K. Robert, Dingers. Bobby K. Dingers. Um, so he had a absolutely monstrous 42.4% strikeout rate. Uh, this past year, not great, obviously. Also had a super inflated BABIP of 394. Also not great. There's plenty of warts to come with Dahlbeck, but I think that he has refined his approach slightly. And I think that we're going to see some really extreme regression in that strikeout rate. I mean, in double A AA and triple A in the year 2019, he had probably around like a 24, 24 and a half percent strikeout rate. I don't think that that's going to be super far off from what he has in the majors once he can settle in and get used to major league pitching for a full season. Uh, I expect it to drop down to around just over 30 and then maybe trend downward from there, sitting around like 30, 29 ish, hopefully. And if he can still walk at that almost 11% rate that he did last year in his first look in the majors, that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, overall, I really, really like the kid. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that the strikeouts are going to come down quite that much. Like I, I mean, like the guys who are kind of known as the uh, massive strikeout risks right now, like that your Joey Gallows, they strike out like what, like thirty five percent of the time, a little, little less. I if if Dalbeck keeps on swinging the way he's swinging, I don't know if it's going to come down much below that. Like the the contact rates just aren't good. Like and. I don't think we have minor league data for that to really compare. Like as long as he keeps on, yeah, as long as he keeps on swinging and missing as much as he is, it's just hard to, hard to predict a better contact rate. Yeah. I'm just hoping for fewer K's at a certain point. I mean, I think that the pitches like, I mean, in the game today that I watched, he took two very, very, very large hacks uh, in one of his at bats and swung right through them. So the swing and miss is always going to be there. It's going to be part of his game. I just think that maybe his ability to pick and choose which of those pitches to try to just murder is going to get better as time goes on. Uh, he also saw quite a few first pitch strikes last season. And I'm wondering if that's because he was so aggressive at the plate. I can't tell here. His whiff percentage was 46%. That's a lot of swing and miss. That's a lot of swing and miss. Now, this isn't to say that I don't like him because everything Jordan is saying is true and he is a big boy, hit ball far, and he's you know fun guy to have on your team because he's very capable of going on stretches like this where he hits a bunch of home runs in bunches. So I, I'm, I'm definitely not decrying the choice here. I just, uh, yeah, I, I worry that the Ks are always going to be a problem and it'll keep him from kind of hitting his ceiling. Yeah, that's true. And then like this late, you're a lot of times looking for an empty power bat too. And this is going to be cheaper than someone like a Joey Gallo, someone that you previously mentioned here. Um, oh, absolutely. 
I think that if you have a high enough average floor and you just want to sell out for some nice power, I think that Dalbeck's a nice, easy guy that you can hold, especially in like a, a dynasty league. Uh, and who knows? We'll see how he develops over the next few years. The only real issue for Dalbeck is what, well, I guess not the only real issue because we've talked about all the other issues, but the other issue is that you've got someone like Tristan Casas behind him in the minors as well. And then if he, for some reason, does get bumped off first base because they need to make room for Casas, the DH spot currently goes to J.D. Martinez. So it's hard to say exactly what his role will be in the coming years. One possibility is that he does have a very good arm. He also played third base in the minors, and he used to be a pitching prospect as well, and he was able to hit 95 on the gun. So he can throw. So I could actually see him possibly maybe slotting in as like a corner outfielder as well just to get that versatility and get that playing time just to get him in the lineup. Because at this point, you're not going to put Bobby Dahlbeck in over J.D. Martinez at that DH spot. It's just never going to happen. But after, I believe it's 2022, J.D. Martinez's contract is up, so there would be an opening potentially after that if he does not re-sign with the Red Sox. So it's something that if you're keeping him in a dynasty league, it's something to monitor. Um, But for now, I think he's a really fun pick. Yeah. I mean, how how many guys do you know that can consistently go oppo like he does? It's it's fun. True. Yes. I mean, he literally hit all three of his home runs so far in spring training to the exact same spot, like within 10, 15 feet of each other over that right center field wall, which is pretty great. And every, everyone loves a good spring training power surge so that everyone freaks out and overreacts, raises the ADP, makes him a crazy popular waiver wire pickup. It's it's just uh, there's always one of those guys and it's fun every year. I bet you if we look like a week from now. Oh, yes. At the past week's drafts, I would venture a guess that Dahlbeck slips just inside the top 300. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked one bit. We'd love to overreact. By we, I mean the fantasy community at large. We ourselves. By by we, you mean me. By we, yes, by we, I mean <laughs> Jordan and the rest of the fantasy community. Well, I will steer you in the, uh, you know, non-recency bias direction. Just listen to Schweppes. That's all. That, that's my advice. Listen to Schweppes. Listen to Schweppes on everything except the Mets because I cannot be trusted. I will not be reasonable when it comes to my team. <laughs> I mean, we're all homers a little bit here and there, right? Draft Dom Smith in the first round, guys. Please don't do that. For, for the love of God, please don't do that. Uh, speaking of pseudo-homerism, that's a phrase I didn't think I was going to use in this. Transitions, uh, some honorable mentions for the first base spot. Jesus Aguilar, currently sitting at 358. Uh, uh, a BOFA, a Brewer's old friend alert. Which is definitely what that means. Yeah, BOFA means exactly what I just said, right? Totally. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Aguilar, aside from the year that he went from Milwaukee to Miami, he's carried an average of 265 since he's been playing regularly. Uh, Bad X currently has him slated for a 239 average with 16 home runs and 61 RBIs, but he's going to be batting in the heart of that lineup in Miami, and I really don't think that he's going to only hit 240. I think he's more likely to hit around like 255, 260, and probably clear 20 home runs and 70 RBIs. Uh, If he stays healthy, 350-plus for a guy that can produce that much is a really, really good pick and someone that if you want to just like stream him in like a util spot... Or if you have a corner infield spot in your league, whatever it may be, uh, I really think I, I I vouch for Jesus Aguilar. He's great. Yep. And since we also want to hit on the prospects a little bit, uh, Andrew Vaughn 
is looking like the favorite to be the DH in Chicago. Yes, if, yes he if is. Not, yeah, if not on day one, then on day 15 or whatever, whatever the uh, cutoff is Two for weeks that. a month into the season. I don't know exactly what it is either. Yeah. Yeah. So he's another one whose value has been creeping up. He has slipped inside the top 300 ADP, but he's still going very late and he's still very young for you keeper league dynasty guys out there. So if you're, if you're doing a redraft, obviously his value comes way, way up, but even in redraft, I think Andrew Vaughn is going to have some major impact this year. Uh, coming out of his year's draft, he was one of the most polished hitters. He's done nothing but reaffirm that since he got to the White Sox organization. The team has faith in him. And, you know, service time manipulation uh, aside, he's going to play as early as they possibly can have him play. And I just I think he's going to hit the second he gets onto that field. I mean, yeah, he's got what is it? he was graded out by fan as having a 60 graded raw power and then a 70 future hit tool. Pretty good. Seems all right. I mean, as long as he stays in the American League where he can just continue to mash. Um, it's oh, God, I'm it's really nice that there's this weird communion of you have on one side, you have Brewers fans and the other side, you have White Sox fans. And then you have this mutual hate of Cubs fans. So we're all like pseudo fans of each other. So it's really nice knowing that while the Brewers aren't exactly the ideal team right now, I have a team close by to root for and seeing players like Andrew Vaughn and obviously the number of other stars, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert on the White Sox. It makes my heart very, very full. So like the White Sox are kind of like your backup team just because they're in direct opposition to the uh, Cubs for like city dominance. Essentially. I mean, I would say that it's pretty clear right now that the White Sox are the better team, obviously. I mean, as far as popularity goes, oh, yeah. that's up for debate, naturally. Uh, but I also think that right now is going to spawn, like this time, this point in history is going to spawn a lot of teenage kids to rebel against their Cub fan parents and become White Sox fans, kind of like your origin story where you became a Mets fan instead of a Yankees fan. Just like, I really think that's going to like, just going to be something, it's going to be a tool for a bunch of teenagers just to needle their parents a whole bunch. And that makes me really happy too. I, I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I mean, the White Sox just, they're just dripping with swag, right? With Tim Anderson, uh, Luis Robert, Yon Mankata, they're, they're a really fun team. Have you listened to Yon Mankata's song yet? I'm sorry. Are those words that belong together in a sentence? Yo, no. Schwebs, we're going to listen to this live right now. I'm going to get your live reaction oh to this. God. Well, I'll cut this out, but that's fine. We're going to listen to this right now. I'm going to pull this up and stream it. Please hold. What was I even talking about? I totally forgot. I was. We were, t- I was we were talking about like the, the the White Sox and uh, Brewers fans uniting against the Cubs. Yes, there's like a weird like mesh of White Sox and Brewers fans on Twitter. Uh, it's really really great. I don't know. It's it's very pure, and very nice, and we kind of have each other's backs. It's like our little our little crew. Uh, but yes, it's nice to have another team that is actually going to probably be good <laughs> to to root for. It's fun how the Cubs fans have like turned on the team so quick. It's honestly kind of nuts, isn't it? Like there's there's like there's like a fan cycle. It's like you, you know, you're bad for a long time, then you're good for a bit and you finally win. And then like the cycle starts over again where you start to be bad for a bit again. And the, t- the fans like depending on your fan base, so they, they can they can turn on you real quick. It can be awful. Unless you're one of the lucky fan bases where your teams are like always good, like the Cardinals or the Yankees. And we love those fan bases, right? Those are the best. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry to all of my Yankee fan compatriots at Pitcherlist. Uh, it's funny how like a lot lots of winning breeds bad fan bases, but also winning and then losing breeds bad fan bases. But maybe it's like we're the problem. It's almost like the fans are the problem. It's, it's crazy. It's just that the the really crappy people are the loudest and want to be heard the most. They're the ones that scream everything from the rooftops, aka Twitter. Not anybody but, listening to this, though. You guys are the best. Yeah, everyone here right now, what, all the best. What, whatever team you root for, you, you guys are all paragons of that fan base. You're shiny examples of what fan ba- fans should be like. Yes, I'm talking to you, every one of you. Yes, especially you. Especially you, Matt. Barack Obama. No, I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> like, think Barack if, Obama if so, listens to this podcast. Um, I just wanted to blow the mind of somebody listening to this podcast whose name is Matt. Do we have any Matt listeners? There's got to be at least one. That's a very common name. Anyways, we've become very okay. sidetracked. <laughs> last first baseman that we're going to talk about. Someone that we talked about, I think it was last week only, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was last week or week one. of like, we, we talked about him when this, like we were talking about his signing. Yeah. Um, and his ADP is shooting up. Yeah, all the way up to 239 now is CJ Crone. I'm not going to go into depth on CJ Crone a whole bunch. We went into depth on him a little bit last time. Uh, if he wins that first base job in Colorado, projections are already super bullish on him, saying that he's going to hit 30 home runs according to Bad X, which is, I mean, fantastic. I will take that any day. Um, going along with that, projected for, I believe it's, yeah, 72 runs and 87 RBIs and a 272 average. The fact that you can still get value like that, even at 239, is insane. The fact that he was at pick 300 plus, even like a week ago, was insane. So please, obviously, if you're not on the train already, please get on the train and pick up CJ Crone. Yeah, so I feel like we've had a lot of disclaimers today. And here's another. The ADPs that we use are the NFC ADPs, NFBC. So this is your money games, your high stakes players. So these are guys who are really on the ball. So if you're on a different platform or if you're in your home league, then the ADPs there are not going to reflect this. So you might still have your chance to buy low on Crone, but understand that the people who are on the ball in your league, they're going to read the dozens of positive CJ Crone uh, articles that are probably out there right now. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you should still be able to get him close to around pick 200 at the very earliest. I would say he's probably going to end up going. Um, and yeah, if you're well-read, like some people are, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to know more than most people because we provide the best info. Uh, get CJ Crone. He's an easy, easy pickup late in drafts. I think that's it for first baseman, right, Schwebs? Yeah. Sweet. Let's move on to third baseman. Uh, Schwebsy will have you kick it off again. Who is your sleeper pick post 300 for third baseman? So let Quickly, to kind of summarize deep league third baseman, they kind of suck. Bad, 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 bad. Yeah, so if you're filling your corner infield spot in a deep league, I would advise looking to first baseman. Just let's start off with that. But as for guys who are actually third baseman, we did find a few that we thought were particularly interesting. Now, one guy who is of particular interest to Uh, dynasty keeper type leagues carter keeboom and this is 
kind of tangentially related to my Danny Jansen pick from last week, as you're not going to find too many things in his actual stat line so far in his career, or at least in the last year, that are encouraging. But we're going mostly with prospect pedigree, uh, his opportunity here. So, like I said, I think we could just throw out 2020 as a lost year. We're talking about a kid who, in the minors, routinely put up double-digit walk rates, topped out at a 21.6% K rate as a 20-year-old in AA, which is impressive. And his plate approach just, like, completely fell apart in the majors. He was kind of jerked around. He didn't get consistent playing time because, I guess, it was more important to let Azdrubal Cabrera put up a 753 OPS on a last-place team. I, I guess the, the Nationals thought that was important for some reason. But also, he was dealing with uh, a groin injury. And uh, but uh, on my on my other podcast, we've spent way too much talk, time talking about Carter Keboom's groin. It's got frankly uncomfortable at this point. Um, but uh, so aside from purely performance, he was dealing with injury issues. And we found out that he got LASIK. We love when hitters get LASIK because ideally it means they can, they can see the ball better now. And so I, I I would think from looking at his profile that seeing the ball is something that was already a strength of Keyboom. So if he's doing that even better, great. So his season last year was just weird. Like Jordan and I actually like took a kind of a joint approach to combing through Keyboom's uh, uh, savant page before this, and it's just weird. Like like we could, so many weird things. Right. Like we couldn't find anything particularly that 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 stood out about like why he was so bad other than just like when he hit the ball good things didn't happen it's like the plate discipline was kind of there normally if you if you tell me a guy improved his walk percentage by like 4.6 and lowered his k percentage by 10.2 i would expect a really big jump in performance from that guy and carter keyboom's numbers went down across the board so it's just strange like I don't think he's ever going to be a monster power guy, but with his plate approach and the kind of hitter that he was in the minors, I'd expect him to become a guy who can pick his pitch, punish some to get some home runs while putting up good batting averages and runs RBIs at the top of an order. Like I envision him as kind of a slower, like Alex Verdugo type hitter, you know, if he, if he actually meets his ceiling, which is an underrated, but good kind of hitter. I think it's a really good comp, honestly. I like that a lot. And it's a good way to show like how he has value. I was really, really out on Keyboom personally last year. I know that I traded him. I, I had like two dynasty leagues that I traded him off of because I just wasn't wasn't having it, didn't really see the upside. And then when a guy gets LASIK, that plus the groin injury makes me wonder how like grand of an effect that all had on him as a young hitter. Like I would love to say that that's like that was all he needed. Like he got his eyes fixed and that's it. And now he's good. I keep wanting to say like, he went to Jared, except like, like with our, he went to driveline. He went to Jared, the LASIK technician. Point is see ball better, hit ball better in theory. See ball better, hit ball better. Correct. Yes. Uh, I like the key boom pick. Honestly. I mean, it's, I think it's a really, really good buy low for someone who's probably not going to cost you a whole lot right now, especially in a dynasty league. Uh, I think that you can get him for a pretty good price and not give up too much. Um, whether that be another lower end prospect or a pick. It also depends on how high someone is on Carter Keyboom. Obviously, some people might not be buying into the results from 
2020 and just wanted to hang on to him and see if he can make it work this year. Because he does technically, from what I last heard, have that starting third base job until he loses it. But it sounded like they were keeping him on a pretty short leash. So we will see. To his credit, the Nationals bench at this point in time kind of sucks butt. It does kind of suck butt. Um, sorry to the Nationals fans out there. The rest of your, I mean, your, start, your starting lineup's pretty good. I know you're not because it's a division rival for the Mets. I understand. But your starting lineup, I mean, you have Juan Soto and Trey Turner. You can't be that upset. Anyways. Uh, they still find reasons to be upset, though. Yeah. Don't we all, though, at the end of the day? I am never mad online. <laughs> Don't tell the newspaper I, I was mad online. <laughs> <laughs> I've never once in my life have I been mad online, especially about baseball. Very specific. I mean, don't tell the newspaper joke is a very specific joke that very few people will get. But if you get it, thank you. And you're welcome. Yeah, if you get it, that was for you specifically. Alt, three of you. Yeah, Schwebs. I really like, I I like the Kibum pick. That's a good call out. Um, Surprisingly, even though Kibum is at 514, I went even deeper. Yes, deeper. We went Mariana's Trench on this one. All the way to pick 572, I chose... Evan Longoria. Now you're probably Ooh. saying, Jordan, Evan Longoria washed, right? He's an old man. There's no way he's any good. He's not putting up like Nelson Cruz old man numbers. But more like Evan Longoria. I'm going to need you to shut off your microphone. <laughs> I will not. No, but Evan Longoria last year surprisingly put up like a really, really sweet year in terms of just like stat cast numbers. He was in the 87th percentile in exit velocity, 81st percentile in ex-WOBA, 77th percentile in barrel percentage, and he had a 45.2% hard hit rate. And the rolling graph for his past 250 plate appearances has him like well, well, well above average for league uh, ex-WOBA. He put up seven home runs over 209 plate appearances with 26 runs and 28 RBIs and slashed 254, 297, 425, which is completely respectable. The uh, big problem is that he has not been able to hit well against other righties. His splits are not good whatsoever. Um, so at this point now, with the signing of the next person that I'm going to talk about, Tommy Lastella, he's probably in a platoon situation. So for me, a guy that is going this late in drafts, he's kind of going to be like the really, really deep league, like NL only type league where you're going to take him and then you're going to stream him on the days where they are playing against a right or against a left-handed pitcher because he's probably going to get the start over La Stella. At least that's what the folks over at Roster Resource think. Uh, Schwebs, anything on Longo? Uh, no, not specific to Longoria, but I think it does bring up the point that teams are getting more strategic in the way that they deploy lineups. You'll notice this with the 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 good I, I i do actually mean the the good teams like the the yankees the giants the rays are the rays the padres the dodgers the athletics these teams have too many players for their lineup too many like arguably starting quality players to fit in their lineup and they deployed uh platoons so for you deep leaguers it really really benefits you to pay attention to where the platoons are and in this particular case, like Listella is going like 200 picks higher than Longoria. And it makes sense because he's the strong side of that platoon. So it, you know, pay attention to these teams that you think have too many players and be on the lookout for those lefties on those teams because they're going to get the lion's share of the playing time. 
Yeah, and Lestella also, when he is in the lineup, is going to be leading off too. So sitting at the top of that lineup, which if they can produce at all like they did last year, is not going to be a bad place to be sitting for Lestella. Um, speaking of Lestella, to kind of go a little bit more in depth on him, he is projected to play more games than Longo, which makes sense. Uh, projected for 11 home runs with a 269 average and 53 runs and 51 RBIs. Uh, which for someone who's going to play like 100 games, that's really not too bad at all, especially sitting at the top of that lineup. Again, deeper league play where you're going to maybe handcuff him with Longo or you're going to handcuff him with another player who's playing part-time but is going to be facing, like, who's going to be platooning as well at that third base slot. The thing with Lestella as well is currently in NFBC, he is only eligible, I believe, at first and second base, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's you. You need to pay attention to your league uh, roster rules when you're rostering guys like Listella, who have played a lot of positions for in varying amounts over the past few years. Yeah, so something like NFBC, Listella is only eligible at first and second base currently. But if he's going to be platooning with Longoria at third base, he's going to pick up that eligibility early on enough. So he's kind of an honorable mention here, sort of an actual part of this list. But I really wanted to highlight Longoria and say that even though he's going at pick 572 and he seems like he i mean he's been on a, a steep decline over the past three or four years this past year 2020 showed some signs of life and maybe it's worth rostering him and playing him when he's going up against lefties yeah yeah no i, I can definitely see that so you said honorable mentions yes i did who else we got in who else we got in honorable mentions i i this, there's there's a theme here basically the entire Tampa Bay Rays bench is is our third base yeah. honorable mention. We left out uh, Michael Brousseau because he's basically just a lefty, uh, a righty that comes in to hit lefties every now and then. But every other third baseman on Tampa Bay's bench is interesting for deep leagues in at least some way. The first one we've got, and the guy that's getting drafted the highest, is Joey Wendell. And the reason he's being drafted the highest is because everyone loves steals, and Joey Wendell gets enough steals to be interesting. He hits for a competent batting average. He has a little bit of pop. He's not like a five, like I wouldn't call him a five tool player, but he does enough of each thing to actually be like a positive value there. And he is an absolutely fantastic glue guy. He's multi-position eligible, does a little bit of everything. Really nice guy to grab on your team at like the end of a standard league or just to, you know, to make your lineups work in a deeper league. Love Wendell. I, I love guys that you can put into the corner infield or the middle infield spot because it makes them eligible at at least like five positions in your lineup. Super nice to have. It's something that I don't think I, in my early years of playing fantasy baseball, valued enough is like these guys who are super duper versatile because there's some of them that just don't really put up that impressive of numbers. And I could take someone else who may be position specific who can put up better numbers, but that versatility within your lineup to move move guys around is just, it's... It's indispensable. It's really, really great. Um, and shout out to Zach Dobroff for kind of really trying to sell us on Joey Wendell a couple nights ago in the Pitcherless Discord. It was uh, I just never really thought about him. And looking at his his stats over the past few years, it's just like like Schweb said, he's going to chip in a little bit here and there, pretty much in every category. So he's a nice glue guy. The guy almost won the Rookie of the Year a couple years back, and like still no one even thinks about him. Yeah, it's really crazy. I, I he's you, you remember remember when Ben Zobers was putting up like four or five war years every season and he was still like underrated Joey Wendell has a little bit of Z Ben Zobers in him less versatile less ah. good but he 
he has a little bit of that to him. Tampa Bay loves guys like this. Uh, and moving down the Tampa Bay Rays bench, I, over the course of researching this podcast, I talked myself into Yoshi Satsugo so hard. And I think I might have talked Jordan into him as well. It's a kind of, because, yeah. So uh, when Yoshi Satsugo got signed last year, last offseason, he got talked up as somebody who had 30 home run power, really good plate approach. And then he hit what, like 195. And now he's in the 680p range. And that should not be the entire story. I was digging into his strikeouts because I noticed that he had like he had good contact numbers, yet he was still striking out a lot. So I did this work so you don't have to. I looked at every single one of his looking strikeouts because he struck out looking way more than I would have expected given his other numbers. So I looked at every single pitch where he struck out looking and I think he just got I like I don't know if it was a transition from his former league to this league where the strike zone's a little different so maybe he was you know he had trouble with uh, you know a different strike zone or if he was just you know not used to a different style of pitching yet but like he was victimized by some some really bad calls some really just nasty pitches and he struck out looking like a lot more than I would have expected. Like the other guys on the backwards K leaderboards are either guys who strike out an absolute ton and swing and miss a lot, like your Joey Gallows, your uh, Jorge Solers, or, or guys who just, you know, guys who are incredibly passive and that's like your your Kevin Biggios. But Satsugo has a really, really fantastic eye. Like I'm, I'm just... Look, looking at his numbers, I was just struck by how good his eye is. And I think if he just makes a slight adjustment this year to, you know, fighting off those really difficult pitches or just, you know, a little bit better knowledge of the MLB strike zone, I, I think he's actually going to be like a great value at that 600 pick. Like, I, I think I'm going to wind up with him in my, uh, you know, in probably my AL only league this year for the second consecutive year. But I think this year is going to be a lot more fruitful. When he makes contact, like, ball go far. Ball do go far. Uh, also, I came up with a term for people who are victims of bad strike three calls. Oh? Are you ready? I am so ready. They were touched by an angel. Oh. <laughs> As in Hernandez? Yep. <laughs> oh. Thanks, I hate it. It's mean, but it's kind of good. <laughs> I feel like that was very clever. I've been waiting to say that for like a full two and a half minutes, I feel like. <laughs> but sorry to keep you waiting. No, it's okay. I, I just no, feel real. I, you were selling me I, on Yoshi Tsutsugo. I'm more than happy to wait to tell my little dumb joke. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've learned in the in the last few hours that I am a Yoshi stan. It's kind of great. I like it a lot. Uh, and then who is the third one that you wanted to bring up here, Schwebs? Yandy Diaz. This Here's your annual reminder that Yandy Diaz hits the snot out of the ball and he just needs to put it in the air more to be what would probably wind up being an elite hitter. So here's a fun thing. You know how like there were pictures of Yandy Diaz floating around a couple years ago of like him flexing in the gym and he just has biceps the size of your head. Just absurdly large. Yes. Supposedly he's in the best shape of his life. Oh gosh, we got to be soul alert. We got a B-Soul alert. 
he uh, has supposedly cut some weight and is in the best shape of his life. Although that's not really what his problem was, but he did it anyway. He he, he did it for the love of the game. He, he managed to get into even better shape. And uh, I mean, the dude runs like really high babips, and he's not particularly fast and he hits the ball on the ground constantly. And it just goes to show the benefit of just hitting the ball really hard constantly. It almost doesn't matter that he's such a ground ball hitter. Like, yeah, for uh, he had like a, he had like a four hundred plus OBP last year, which is insane to think about. Right, like he doesn't he, he doesn't ever hit the ball in the air, and he still managed to get on base like constantly. So, yeah, I mean there are warts to all of these guys, and the fact that they're all on the same team competing for some of the same positions means you're not going to get a full slate of at bats for many of them. But they all have their value. And they're all particularly value if your team is lacking in something specific. Like Wendell is a fantastic late round steals target. Uh, Satsugo is a great late round home run target. Yandy is great if you just need someone on your team who can lift a lot of heavy things. So, you know, pay attention to these guys. And uh, if you're if you're really struggling to find a third baseman really late in the draft, like, you know, pay pay attention to Tampa Bay. Absolutely. Like we said at the start of our segment on third baseman. It's pretty bleak post 300. So do get your guys early. If you are drafting a completely fresh team, please, please, please get your guys early. But if you find yourself in need of a backup really, really late, or if you're in a really, really deep league where the pickings are pretty slim later in the draft, feel free to go after any of these guys. Honestly, all really great picks. Uh, Schwebzy. Oh, quick, very quick TGFBI update. Oh, I mentioned I was I mentioned I was picking at 14. Yes. And uh, the the guy behind me wasn't pick, the guy behind me timed out the 15th pick oh, and no. the turn. And I had two guys on my list. Did both of them get he, taken? Just, he just auto picked both of the guys that I wanted. Oh, no. Uh, draft horror stories. I'm so sorry, buddy. Uh, oh, my God. Have some chat. Have some chat for Schwebs. But I digress. Let's let's wrap this thing up. All right. That's going to be it for us this week. Join us again next week for our fourth episode where we will be going over, I believe, middle infielders, correct? Heck yeah. Second baseman and shortstops. Great. Awesome. Uh, that'll be on Saturday, March 13th. That's that's a date. That's absolutely a date. Uh, and if you want to stay up to date on new episodes and get occasional takes from Schwebzy and I, you can follow us at In the Deep PL or individually at Schwebzi, that's S-H-W-E-B-S-I, and Bunt Singles for me. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Schwebzi, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.